0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins. Good evening, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm. I am sitting in for Tony today. Thankful that you are with us. It is a ominous day, perhaps, in international affairs as we consider what is happening in on the Russia-Ukraine border. We are going to cover that story in depth with you. Some other interesting stories today that we are going to get to, from a life to religious freedom to parental rights. There's a lot happening around the country at the state level. We'll get an update from the states with Kena Gonzalez. In addition, In our Human Rights on Ice segment today, we'll talk to a North Korean who defected to China. What was his experience with the Chinese government? He'll tell us. At the end of the program, with all the discussion over critical race theory, sex education, and gender theory, more and more people are asking the question, should Christians send their kids to public schools? It's not a simple question, but we'll discuss it in our worldview segment at the end of the program. But first, the top story today. World are scrambling to find a diplomatic solution over the ongoing Russia-Ukraine tensions as Russia continues to add troops and build up its military presence at Ukraine's border. Speaking to record- reporters outside the White House today, President Biden said an invasion could happen in the next few days.
1: How high is the threat of a Russian invasion right now? It's very high. Every indication we have is they're prepared to go into Ukraine, attack Ukraine. Is your sense that this is going to happen?
0: Yes. Not I, my sense. This will happen
2: within the next several days.
0: Joining us now to talk about this and more is U.S. Representative Mark Green, who's a member of the House Armed Services Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee, the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis, as well as the House Freedom Caucus. He's also a GOP Doctors Caucus. He represents the 7th Congressional District of Tennessee. Congressman Green, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks, Joseph. Glad to be on with you.
0: Well, we are glad to have you. First, what's your reaction to what's happening on the Ukraine-Russia border?
3: Well, this is, uh, it's almost unbelievable, but then you look at who Putin is and, and you say, okay, I, it, it looks like it's happening. Um, I mean, he is basically assembling, uh, an invasion force that we haven't seen in Europe since world war two, uh, 190,000 soldiers. Uh, of course he's got naval forces and Marines ready to assault from the black sea. It's just, uh, it's unprecedented and, uh, it really spells trouble for for Europe and for the world.
0: Is there in any sense that this has been, could be avoided from a diplomatic sense? Are there diplomatic steps that could be taken that might avert this?
3: Well, you know, that's two questions. Uh, Is there something that could have done, could have been done in the past to have kept us from getting to this point? I think an effective withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan with a, commander in chief who appears strong enough to to deter something like this would have been incredibly helpful. We don't have that now. We have a failed withdrawal that has uh, empowered our enemies, uh, energized them. Uh, So I don't I don't know that in the past there's anything we could have done, you know, other than have a different president. Um, In terms of the go forward, it doesn't look like there's anything at this point that NATO, EU, and the U.S. would be – that we should do. I mean Putin's ultimatum is akin to the ultimatum that the Serbians gave the Austrians that started World War I. I mean this ultimatum is intentionally written knowing that we can't accept the terms of that, uh, and Putin echoed it again, you know, again this morning. So it's – I think we're at, a, we're at an impasse diplomatically. Um, We should continue to try, of course, but I don't I don't see anything that Putin wants to have happen that we can, you know, uh, make happen.
0: In a 3000 word document from the Russians earlier today, they seem to be making the argument that they're actually trying to protect their security in this sense. What are they claiming their position is?
3: Well, from Russians perspective, they believe that the activities of NATO expansion, meaning adding states like Poland and Romania, and, and the possibility that we might add Ukraine in the future, uh, presents a security threat to them by putting the forces of the West on their on the Russian border. You you look at even back to the czarist times, the the czars of Russia and, and of course the Soviet Union they protected their country through proxy states or through buffer states surrounding the country. And, and that's how they have secured or created security for themselves. And that's what Putin wants to resurrect. Um, but, you know, in this case, NATO is there in po- Poland now. So it, there's an Article 5 obligation to protect Poland. Um, and it, he's just not going to get what he wants, uh, unfortunately, for him. Uh, and so now he's going to do it with Ukraine as quickly as he can before they become a NATO ally.
0: Well, in that sense, he would be moving the border instead of NATO moving the border, wouldn't he? Because if he were to take Ukraine, then he's just moved that that much closer to Europe, which he claims is the problem. Am I misunderstanding that in any way?
3: Well, no, but that creates the buffer for him, right? I mean, he he gets a, the buffer state of Ukraine between between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, and the west yeah
0: is the international community prepared to go to war to stop russia
3: i don't think uh, anyone in the west is talking about putting you know either nato forces or and we certainly aren't you know i am fully against and i think most of the american leadership is against putting u.s troops on the ground in ukraine and now, honestly the ukrainians don't want it i, I visited kiev just a few weeks ago, as a part of a congressional delegation, I was the lead Republican in that delegation, and um, you know, the U- Ukrainians were very clear—they don't want American soldiers there. They—they they are willing to fight if they have the equipment. So um, I don't see the West doing that now. The West is going to, you know, create incredible sanctions, um, and and that they're going to cripple the Russian economy. Um, I do see us bolstering our forces in nato countries that border this buildup you know you look at him massing troops in belarus which happens to be on the border of poland and the baltics and so we we have a responsibility to those allies to make sure that he knows any attack against them will be you know met with stiff uh, military kinetic everything so
0: you talk about sanctions that would cripple the russian economy what would those be
3: well, clearly, if we disrupt their ability to do dollar-backed trade or banking transactions, their ability to trade internationally would be severely impacted. I mean, it, it would keep them from buying wheat. It would keep them from buying you know, other products from other countries. So, I mean, it, it would essentially cut them off from international trade.
0: Presumably Putin is aware of this, and he just doesn't care?
3: Yeah, they prepared their economy. It's interesting. They did a very good job of preparing their economy, their reserves, their conversion of their reserves to Russian currency versus you know, dollar-backed currency. They got rid of all their dollars. Uh, they're in a better place. It still will be devastating to their economy, though.
0: Congressman Mark Green, I want to talk about another subject with you, uh, our neighbor to the north in Canada. Uh, a lot of action from their government in response to the trucker protests. What are your observations there?
3: Well, one, you got to love uh, the fact that our Canadian brothers uh, and sisters want freedom, too, right? I mean, they're, they're standing up. Uh, for freedom. And I, I deeply respect that. And it's been interesting to watch the totalitarianism of Justin Trudeau. I mean, but he's the guy who praised the dictatorship of the CCP only, you know, months before this. So uh, he's overreacted. Uh, this emergency powers that he's claimed is, is ridiculous and absurd. Uh, there's no threat to the sovereignty of Canada here um and and i think it's going to backfire on on Trudeau
1: now, there's a clip
0: of president oh, okay excuse me i i, I was i i'm going to stay on stay on the canada story here um that the their invocation of these emergency powers, how unusual is this, even in Canada now? That, of course, they have a different government. They don't have the same Constitution we have. They don't have the same Bill of Rights. But in a Canadian context, how unusual are the steps that Justin Trudeau has taken in the last several days?
3: To my understanding, this, these powers have never been enacted ever before. So this is uh, brand new. And, uh, you know, just something that no one in Canada ever sp- expected would happen. And it's never happened before.
0: Now, what the Canadian government is doing using these emergency powers to essentially turn people's lives off. And the technology now gives them that ability to stop them from being able to buy or sell or travel literally anywhere. Those powers are really a function of new technology that have developed in the last decade or so. Is there anything that we in the United States should be learning as we watch what's happening in Canada?
3: Well, we sure surely shouldn't elect leaders with an authoritarian bent. And you take uh, the folks in the far left that have seized power in the Democrat Party, the woke cancel culture, the, uh, you know, Authoritarians over there with masks on, children and closing down schools and all of that stuff. We got to make sure we elect freedom-loving uh, leaders to our to our Congress and to our governorships and to our state legislatures uh, and certainly to the presidency. So that's probably our biggest lesson because you know we've got people in our government who are leftist Marxists who want to do what just they're fine with what Justin Trudeau has done. So that's probably lesson number one.
0: How can we make sure that the United States government does not have the power that they could exercise where they can essentially turn off the lives of American citizens who fall into the displeasure of the federal government?
3: Well, I'll give you a great example is make sure that H.R. One is defeated the bill that would permanently empower the Democrat Party. It would federalize elections, you know, take away the state's rights for elections. Uh, That that would be a good place to start as well. H.R. 1 would devastate freedom in America, and it can't pass. And, of course, you know, the leftists, they want it to pass. So we've got to make sure that it doesn't pass.
0: We've got about a minute left, but one last question. The timing of – Canada's extreme measures is interesting because at the same time, they are really uh, doubling down and 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 moving harshly against their citizens. Most of the globe is opening up, and it seems that the requests that the trucker protests are making are policies that essentially the rest of the world are adopting just because they think that that's the right thing to do. What do you make from the fact that Canada is going extreme at the same time the rest of the country is opening up?
3: Well, I, I think you know those guys have got to reevaluate what they're doing. This this uh, this mandate stuff. Uh, even in our Senate, though, we had some senators who did not support uh, shutting down uh, government funding and mandates. So, I mean, it's this is a battle that's ongoing everywhere, and we got to just keep fighting for freedom.
0: Congressman Mark Green, we do appreciate you continuing your fight for freedom and for your time today. Thank you so
3: much. Thank you, Joseph. See you.
0: Coming up after the break, we are going to check in on the fight for freedom at the state level. A lot of focus on the national and international level, but there's some good news in state legislatures around the country you're going to want to know about. We'll talk about it when we come back right after the break. Stay with us.
4: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily Scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square.
5: to 67742.
0: Welcome back to Washington, North Carolina, Joseph Back home City. Today remind you that the website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can find this and every episode of Washington Watch. In addition to everything going on nationally and internationally that we cover here on Washington Watch, we've seen increased momentum at the state level on policy issues that are important to people who care about faith, family, and freedom. In fact, the FRC policy team is currently tracking 403 bills that we support in state legislatures around the country. 235 of them are high priority. These bills cover a variety of issues from parental rights and education to religious freedom to 15-week abortion bans to girls' and women's sports. It seems that the left has overplayed its hand so that voters have said enough and are taking action. And Joining me now to talk about this and more is Kena Gonzalez, who is FRC's Senior Director of Government Affairs. Kena, welcome back to the show. Hey, Joseph. Great to be with you. Great to see
1: you. Give us an update. What's happening at the state level? Oh, there's a lot. We have a whole team of people, as you know, uh, tracking bills at the state level, Joseph. Uh, The figure that you gave, 403 bills, those are bills that we support, there are actually another 600-plus bills that we oppose. So we're tracking over 1,000 bills at the state level yeah. and working very hard. I'm very grateful to have a very talented team looking at all of these and working with our state partners, the family policy councils in the various states, uh, 40-odd states, who are working in their state capitals. It's just a joy to partner with them uh, to see these bills proceed and, of course, to see the bad bills stopped. Uh, you mentioned uh, several of the bills, uh, several categories. Uh, I would just mention uh, we have 126 high-priority pro-life bills that we are tracking and uh, 67 that we're opposing that are pro-abortion. Uh, that shows a discrepancy, Joseph, that's very interesting. There's a lot of pro-life action at the at the states. And I would say if you're on the pro-abortion side at the state level, you're very much on the defense these days, uh, both in the culture and actually, as it turns out, in the numbers uh, in the legislation. Um, The number of bills touching on marriage, family, family formation, human sexuality that we're tracking, we're tracking uh, almost 180 bills that we support uh, along those lines. Uh, And then there are um, just a number that we, I'm sorry, that's the wrong number, that's 180 that we oppose. Uh, We're tracking 94 at the state level that we strongly support. So they're spread out across the states. I know uh, uh, if people live in a blue state or a red state, they might think, oh, well, I I know Basically, where my state is, but trust me, there are good and bad bills moving right now in your state that need your voice of opposition or support, no matter where you live.
0: Kena, are you seeing any trends around the country, either in a good direction or a bad direction?
1: Well, sure. We we always uh, wrap up in the summer and write uh, write up some pieces of what we're seeing. So right now, here we are in, mi- in the middle of February. Uh, we have some preliminary ideas of what we're seeing. It's an interesting year. Nationally, we're seeing uh, Dobbs. Uh, We're seeing the Dobbs case at the Supreme Court that could overturn Roe v. Wade and return uh, the question of abortion really and truly back to the states. Uh, And this is the first time in a generation that we've seen this opportunity. Uh, We don't know how the Supreme Court will react, and neither do the state legislatures, but the states aren't waiting. The states are, in fact, moving forward. A few years ago, a handful of states, uh, Alabama, Arkansas, and a few others, Move forward, Uh, Texas most recently, to ban abortion or to ban most abortions at the state level, challenging Roe v. Wade. Now we're seeing state after state pick up that mantle and begin to really whittle away at uh, abortion in their state. Uh, Many states have only one abortion provider left in their state, and the states are going after those uh, legislatively. Conversely, there are many states uh, like California. Uh, that are seeking to become uh, abortion destinations that are actually increasing state taxpayer funding for abortion, uh, assuming that Roe will fall. And I think that's very telling. Uh, they're very concerned uh, to to keep, uh, to keep the, kill- the, the, the killing of the unborn in their state, and they're willing to use taxpayer funding to underwrite it. A few years ago, we saw Illinois take this step about uh, three years ago. Uh, and become a destination for people on Medicaid in surrounding states could come into Illinois and uh, take advantage of state Medicaid funds to underwrite their abortions, which they couldn't in the surrounding states. It looks like California is set to follow their example if our friends in California are not successful in stopping this bill.
0: It is disturbing to think about... uh what would essentially boil down to abortion tourism and states and state leaders saying that's what we want to be about is have people come here to kill their children. But Kana, are there any states that are leading in a really positive direction where local legislative leaders are stepping up and, and showing the nation what's possible?
1: You know, Joseph, one of the hot topics uh, on the, on the coasts and the coastal media and here in Washington, certainly is sexual orientation and gender identity. These are, these, are, these are you know the third rail of politics. Nobody can touch them. And it really takes a brave member of Congress to touch them. But amazingly, in the States, I think because they're closer to the people and sometimes closer to the problem, uh, it, there seems to be an upwelling, in my view, in the last few years of courage to address some of the ways in which the ideologically driven agenda of the left have impacted women... Uh, and we certainly see this in women's sports bills that are that are uh, being introduced all across the country. Well over a dozen at this point, as well as uh, uh, bans on uh, gender transition procedures being performed on minors. These are uh, children, sometimes very young children, sometimes as young as six, are beginning are, are, are beginning the process of transitioning to, from male to female or or female to male using hormones and puberty blockers that really have lifelong effects that have not been well studied. And so states are stepping into the gap and saying, no, not in our state. We're not going to do this. Uh, I think all of our viewers and listeners are probably aware that last year Arkansas took that step and overrode a gubernatorial veto to ban gender transition procedures from being performed on minors. But what they may not know is that 19 other states uh, introduced that legislation last year, and we are on a good clip this year to see just as many states introduce the same uh, type of bill this year to protect the children of their state. And uh, again, this is an example of where our viewers and listeners need to be vocal and need to support these laws, uh, which we're very happy to see are, uh, are, being, are, being, are, are moving through the process in state after state this year.
0: And we are happy to see that happening as well. And we at Family Research Council, of course, are thrilled for the opportunity to partner with those who are laboring so effectively at the state level. And Keenan Gonzalez, we appreciate your time today in keeping us abreast of it all. And frankly, your time all year round in keeping us aware of what's happening in in the nation. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Great to be with you, Jason. Coming up
0: after the break, it is our human rights on ice section. As we give the other side of the story to the spin from China coming out of the elections, we're going to talk with Jin Hee Joe who's a North Korean defector who was forcibly repatriated by China to North Korea twice. We'll talk to him when we come back. Stay with us.
6: even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty.
8: Aging 2022, human rights on ice.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph back home, sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. want to remind you of a couple ways that you can stay in touch, stay connected, and stay informed to receive text updates about things that are happening around the country and ways you can be involved. Text the word STAND to 67742 again text the word stand to 67742 in addition you can download the stand firm app where you have not only washington watch but all sorts of other family research council resources to get the app type in stand firm wherever you download your apps or visit frc.org/app to download it to your desktop device It's day 14 of the 2022 Winter Olympics in China. And while others may be covering the Games, who won what medal, and who didn't, here on Washington Watch, we've been covering the other side of Beijing. And that is the side that has been engaged in systematic human rights abuses. On Tuesday's human rights segment, on today's human rights segment, I'm sorry, we're going to take a look at the Chinese Communist Party's treatment of North Koreans who cross into China to escape from the brutal and authoritarian regime of North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Joining me now to tell us about this from first-hand experience is Jin hae Jo, a North Korean defector, and we are apparently still waiting to get her on the line, so we're going to wait just one moment But we are going to hear the details of her experience with the Chinese government. Because there are—North Korea, as you know, is typically at the top of the list of human rights-violating lists. The North Korean government is not only as oppressive as any government on Earth today, it is as oppressive as any government in human history, absolutely denying human rights to its citizens. Chief among those, of course, is the right to exercise religious freedom. Uh, Surveys that have been done in North Korea have indicated that the percentage of the country that is Christian is very close to zero. Sounds like we have her. Do we have her? Okay, we do have her. So now joining me is Jin-hae Jo. She's a North Korean defector who was forcibly repatriated by China back to North Korea two times. jin welcome to Washington Watch.
2: Hi. Uh, yeah,
0: thank you for inviting me here. Well, we are glad to have you. First, tell us a bit of your story. How did you escape from North Korea?
2: Yeah, when I was 10 years old, uh, my mother was, uh, put my sister uh, was six years old at that time. She put her in backpack and hold my hands and we crossed the Tuman River swimming and we crossed it.
0: And tell us what happened after that, because we know that the Chinese government sent you back. How did they find out about you?
2: Yeah, uh, actually four times I was catched by uh, Chinese uh, police and sent back to the North Korea. And first time was, we was asleep at home, I was 14 years old. And they just uh, searching house by house and ask the people, if you know where is the North Korean defector leave, we're going to pay you money 10,000 uh, uh, yuan or 20,000 yuan. So people, uh, some bad people, because of the money, they uh, call the police. Or they just searching by house to house and they found us. So we sent back to the North Korea, but I was survived because I was under uh, 17 years old and first time sent back to the North Korea North Korea regime give us the one chance. That's how I was survived from prison and we escaped again.
0: Why is it that the Chinese government tries to send people back to North Korea?
2: So when I was sent the first time, the Chinese government, the policeman was telling me, say that after sending us to the North Korean government, and the North Korea paid the money for uh, each person. So that time the North Korea, because they don't have money, they pay for, uh, send the one of the tree, wood, uh, one of the wood for can uh, build some houses. So each North Korean person changed with the one wood. So that's the first issue. And second one is the North Korean government uh, keep paying the money to China and the Chinese government. They don't want to uh, some of the North Korea, a lot of North Korean uh, defectors escape from the Tumen River. So they keep control of the North Korean people in the Tumen River and they catch them and keep sending to them.
0: Unfortunately, we only have about a minute left, but tell us, as you see what China is trying to communicate in these Olympics, what's your reaction to what's happening there now?
2: 2008, I was uh, come to America. After a few months later, the Chinese, uh, China government was have Olympic. And that time I was do hunger strip for 16 days to ask the Chinese government to stop sending North Korean defectors. Because we have more than 300 people, 300 million people died because of hunger and because of torture from the North Korean government. China, they know about it, but they keep sending North Korean defectors to kill, let them kill by the North Korean government. So this Olympic is for peaceful for the whole world. But China, they don't have that kind of mind or heart and they keep k- killing people and they did the Olympics. So I really don't like to America or the whole world join the uh, Olympics in China.
0: Well, we understand from your experience why you would feel that way. Unfortunately, we are out of time. But Jinhae, Jo, thank you so much uh, for taking some time to share your story with us. It is a really important one. And we are thankful that you are here now and that you have found some safety. And we pray the same for many others in North Korea. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Coming up after the break, in our worldview segment, should Christians send their kids to public school? An important question.
7: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
6: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
9: Visit frc.org/slash internships to apply.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Just back home sitting for today. It's that time of the week again, our Worldview Friday, and my conversation with my colleague David Clausen, who's FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. Over the last two years. There's been a lot of chatter about education, much of it inspired by COVID. Who's in charge, parents or school administrators? Should critical race theory be taught or not? Increasingly, one of the questions that these questions have led to is, should Christians send their kids to public schools at all? It's not a simple question, but it's one worth talking about. And that is the subject of our worldview conversation today with David Claussen David, welcome back to the show.
8: Hey, great to be with you, Joseph. Well, it's
0: great to see you. Now, this is a sensitive subject, and that's what I want to talk about first. Uh, you and I have dealt with a lot of controversial issues. We deal with same-sex marriage and gender and all sorts of things that will uh, get people emotional. But I would propose to you that you go into any church in America today, and if you want to get people excited, if you want to uh, emote, get get people's emotions and passions um, arise. This is one of the subjects that you could talk to them about and say, "Hey, you know, you shouldn't go to public schools, or absolutely, you should go to public schools." So, before we get into the meat of that, why do you think this is such a difficult
8: conversation for Christians to have? Well, first of all, Joseph, you're absolutely right how important this conversation is, the emotions that it evokes. Uh, Just look at some of the big elections. Just earlier this week in San Francisco, a very, very progressive city, they had a recall and kicked three uh, members of the school board off the school board uh, because parents were so fired up about decisions that were being made in Virginia last year. One of the reasons Glenn Youngkin won a state that had gone for Joe Biden by 10 points the year prior was largely this school issue. And I think the reason people get so fired up about this issue is because this is about our children. Uh, you know, and we're specifically going to talk about Christian right. parents, but I think all parents, uh, you know, have that natural instinct that I, w- I believe comes from the Lord uh, yeah. to want to protect and nurture uh, and defend their children. So that, that's why this is such an important issue for parents, uh, regardless of political party or background or, or views on a whole host of other issues.
0: I think that's fair. And I think when you talk about this subject, um Anytime you say this is what parents should do, there's this implication that that means parents should not do something else. And parents get very defensive, understandably so, when you hear somebody making an argument that suggests perhaps they would do the wrong thing with their kid, or even worse, they already have done the wrong thing with their kids. And I think that's one of the reasons why this is a difficult conversation. And it's one of the reasons we need to enter it with a lot of grace, yeah. um, because, you know, I say as the parent of four chil- child, on behalf of all parents, Um, None of us is perfect and none of us has done this, you know, perfectly. Um, But I do want to ask this, you know, if a parent came to you and asked you the question, should my, should I send my child to a public school? What are the things that you're going to think about? What are the things that you're going to encourage them to think about?
8: Yeah, I think the first place that I would start with any parent, because this, after all, is our biblical worldview segment, is I want to start with the Bible. And we know, Joseph, the the statistic that you and I have talked about multiple times on this show is, you know, 81% of those who attend church think they have a biblical worldview, when in reality it's only about 21%. So I I would start with a verse that I'd like to read. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, I think is a key text. For how parents should see their responsibility to their children. This is one of the most well known passages in the Old Testament. Uh, in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And then here in verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. And then it goes on from there. So I think the place to start the conversation is to remind, especially Christian parents, uh, that you are the chief disciple maker in your home. Uh, your responsibility first and foremost is to care for your children, to nourish them, uh, having children is a special stewardship from the Lord. So I think that's the first step. Uh, we just need to remind Christian parents of what God's Word says about their responsibility as parents. And then from there, I would look at the the pros and cons of public school, private school, homeschool, and whatever the options uh, that would be uh, facing each parent. So do you think
0: it's possible that if we frame the question as, should you send your kid to a public school or not? Are we asking the wrong question? Should we be more fundamentally considering what is the best way to disciple my child? What's the best environment for them to be formed spiritually in the way that Jesus wants them to be?
8: I think so, Joseph, because again, education, what what is education? It's really a form of Discipleship, you are, uh, you're imparting information, but you're, you're more than just imparting head knowledge. Part of the education system is you are teaching people to love certain things. Uh, there's, a, there's a morality, there's an ethics that is uh, twi- intertwined with uh, education. Right before we came on the show, I, I just Googled pros and cons of public school just to see what showed up. And uh, most of the things that were there was, you know, well, one of the pros is that it's free and that teachers have to have credentials and that uh, there's opportunities for extracurriculars. And I think all of those things are important things to think about. What, what does your family value? What's important? But I do think first and foremost, if I'm a Christian parent, I'm thinking in about the, 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 the education of my child in terms of discipleship and in terms of forming their loves. And I, so I do think that's probably a helpful way to even just approach the conversation from the beginning.
0: I think that's wise. And the, the point that you've made that I'll underline again here in, in the way we think about this, because I, I want to make sure we are asking the right questions be, in part because it's so emotional and a part because it's so important that the job of Christians, of course, is to fulfill the great commission. And that is yeah. to go out into all the world and make disciples. Yeah. And when you're a parent, the first person or the first people that you have the obligation to make disciples of is your children that God gives you, right? And that's part of what you read there out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. So the question we have to ask is, what is the best way to make disciples of our children? How would you evaluate that question, given the options? And you mentioned them. There are, there are government schools. There are public schools. Homeschooling is an option that people are increasingly choosing. How would you evaluate the question of what's the best way to make disciples among those options?
8: Yeah. I think each option does have some things going for it, some things that uh, you know, parents should think about deeply. You know, homeschooling, I think, is a wonderful option for so many families, because you can control the content. You can control exactly what the children are uh, learning, the lessons. You can, you can walk through it. Uh, you don't have to worry about uh, bad influences in the classroom. Uh, so obviously, I think homeschooling is a wonderful option, is the option my parents chose for many years, and I'm grateful they did. Uh, private school is another great option. Um, And there's different types of private school, though. Uh, There are classical schools, there's private Christian schools, and all all private schools are not created equal, Joseph. Let me just read one. There's actually an article that came out just a couple days ago highlighting the National Association of Independent Schools. This is an organization that provides guidance to 1,600 private schools, K through 12, in the United States. And what they were doing, it was actually uh, making sure that gender ideology was being put in every classroom. It was kind of an expose, undercover journalism uh, that Breitbart did. But what they found out is that this information that this group was putting into 1,600 private schools was information where they were talking about, as young as pre-K, about bodies, about the body parts uh, children are born with, if body parts is what makes you a boy or a girl, or whether it's feelings— and so I think we just, at the, you know, we need to acknowledge uh, not all private schools are created equal. Um, I think uh, that's important. And then obviously with public schools, um, we can talk about public schools, the government schools. I, FRC tracks things that the Biden administration are doing. There's a whole host of things that the Department of Education has done in the last year that, in my view, make public schools uh, something that I would be very, uh, I would be hesitant to send my kid to a public school, um, knowing some of the things that the Biden administration is doing. But again, I do think every parent has okay. to look at their own situation and take it to the Lord. Let, let's not take prayer out of this equation. We need to ask the Lord what you're calling us to do each and every year and be willing to evaluate that every school year.
0: Uh, david i want to take exception with one thing you said you suggested there that uh, when you homeschool there are no bad influences in the classroom and for those of us who have multiple children i assure you that is not always the case uh, that there could be uh, bad influences in the classroom at home as well now my wife got her master's degree in education And uh, at a public university, the University of Washington in Seattle, as we all know, is uh, not a uh, hotbed of conservatism or Christian values. And one of the things that she concluded and and she and I are frankly uh, products of public education. We both graduated from a public high school, but she determined after finishing her master's degree, the thing that she concluded was that I'm never going to send my kid to a public school as a result of that. And that was an interesting takeaway for me. Um, Do you think that the public school system has the same goals as parents who are trying to, to raise their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord?
8: Increasingly, no. And I would actually say a resounding no. Um, especially over just the last year. And, of course, that didn't just happen with the Biden administration. Uh, but, Joseph, just a couple of things. Just, let me just be pointed. Uh, one of the, the some of the major goals that you're seeing in public schools around the country under the auspice of the Department of Education uh, is increasing uh, gender ideology, that being put into the classrooms, uh, critical race theory. Again, that's, you know, that's in the news all the time. People say that it's not being taught. Well, we see example after example where it is being put into the classroom. Um, but just a couple, let me just give you two examples of what's happening in our public schools, because I, I think a lot of people don't realize this. Uh, but after the uh, Biden administration took office, one month into being into office, uh, they directed through to the Department of Education uh, that the Bostock decision, uh, which is a decision that uh, the Supreme Court came out with a couple of years ago, where they redefined the term sex. And now the Department of Education is saying under Title Nine. Sex is now to be understood as including gender identity and sexual orientation. Um, On August the 2nd, just a couple of months ago, the White House actually released a fact sheet talking about how how they're going to reopen schools. You know, there's a lot of issues going on with COVID and masks and social distancing. With all of those health issues going on, they still felt the need to put out guidance, um, a comprehensive guidance on how Title IX enshrines uh, gender ideology in schools. Um, And one other thing, Joseph— uh, president Biden successfully nominated uh, to, uh, Catherine Lamont as, assess- as assistant secretary of the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Education. She was confirmed 51 to 50, uh, took the vice president uh, to block that tie. Now that she's in place, uh, she is now overseeing the way civil rights is uh, handled in the Department of Education. This is someone who, under the Obama administration, put out a Dear Colleague letter uh, that said that boys who identify as girls should be allowed to use restrooms that conform to their gender identity. Uh, this is someone who, in that same letter, said that biological boys should be allowed to use. Uh, the the dormitories uh, that girls are are housed in on overnight school trips, and in this same letter that she put out, said that teachers should use the preferred pronouns and preferred names of students in their class. Again, this is a a person who is leading the Department of Education, appointed by the president, and let me just add, the secretary of the Department of Education, um, Miguel Cordona, Uh, When asked in his confirmation hearing if biological boys should be allowed to compete against biological girls on sports teams, he could not answer the question. So, again, to your question, what are the goals and the aims and the objectives of public education? Increasingly, it is not reading, writing, and arithmetic. It is gender ideology and other goals of the progressive left in this country. Parents do need to know that.
0: And I think operating with an awareness of the landscape that we're actually operating in is important because those of us who are products of public education, many of us, and I will include myself in this, have very fond memories. I can't think of anything that happened. And now I went to a A private Christian school early in my life ended up graduating uh, from a public high school, did my entire uh, high school career in a public high school. And I honestly, when I reflect back on that, I can't think of a single moment where I was like, oh, that was terrible. That should have never happened. So I actually have pretty good memories of my public school experience. And so a lot of us who are now parents, we remember that and we think, oh, it's really not that bad. And I think one of the important things to realize for parents is how much the landscape has changed. And one other thing I'll say about this is that, as you've pointed out, it's not really uh, a public school or private school situation. There are public schools that may be good partners with parents, because there are some towns in America that are mostly, those schools are, are, are filled with people that share our worldview. And there are private schools that are just as hostile as, you know, downtown San Francisco or downtown Seattle or downtown uh, Washington, D.C. public schools might be to Christian values. So it's not public-private. It's are they good partners in discipleship or are they not good partners in discipleship? And I'll also say as much attention as something like critical race theory and gender theory has gotten— We as parents shouldn't think about this in terms of, I just want to protect my kid from all the bad stuff while they're in school. I hope that we have a higher standard and that we really think about these years of education as opportunities to fill our kids with good stuff, to equip them with the tools they're going to need to not only withstand the darkness, but to push back against the darkness and make progress against the kingdom of hell. We need to be building soldiers who are capable of engaging in this battle effectively And we only do that by asking the right questions and by partnering with the right people. But David, uh, my little sermonette is over and I'm going to wrap it up there because we're out of time. But really appreciate your time and being with us as always.
8: Thank you, Joseph.
0: And friends, that is what we got for today. Pray about your education situations. Pray for Ukraine, that peace would prevail, that lives would be defended. And in all you do, fear God and nothing else.